Part two of Story Nine of A Slav Soul and Other Stories by Alexander Kuprin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The White Poodle. Part two. Four. The porter continued to cry, and at the same time to leap awkwardly down the steep path, the sleeves of his blouse trembling in the wind, and the body of it blown out like a sail. Oh, ho, ho! Wait, you three! There's no finishing with these people, growled Lodishkin angrily. It's Artoshka they're after again. Grandfather, what do you say? Let's pitch into him, proposed Sergei bravely. You be quiet. Don't be rash. But what sort of people can they be? God forgive us! I say, this is what you've got to do, began the panting porter from afar. You'll sell that dog, eh, what? There's no peace with the little master. Roars like a calf. Give me, give me the dog. The mistress has sent. Buy it, says she, however much you have to pay. Now that's pretty stupid on your mistress's part, cried Lodishkin angrily, for he felt considerably more sure of himself here on the shore than he did in somebody else's garden. And I should like to ask, how can she be my mistress? She's your mistress, perhaps, but to me further off than a third cousin, and I can spit at her if I want to. And now, please, for the love of God, I pray you, be so good as to go away, and leave us alone." But the porter paid no attention. He sat down on the pebbles beside the old man, and, awkwardly scratching the back of his neck with his fingers, addressed him thus. Now, don't you grasp, fool! I hear it from a fool, interrupted the old man. Now come, that's not the point. Just put it to yourself. What's the dog to you? Choose another puppy. All your expense is a stick, and there you have your dog again. Isn't that sense? Don't I speak the truth? Eh? Grandfather meditatively fastened the strap which served him as a belt. To the obstinate questions of the porter he replied with studied indifference. "'Talk on, say all you've got to say, and then I'll answer you at once.' "'Then, brother, think of the number,' cried the porter hotly. Two hundred, perhaps three hundred roubles in a lump. Well, they generally give me something for my work, but just you think of it. Three whole hundred! Why, you know, you could open a grocer's shop with that.' While saying this, the porter plucked from his pocket a piece of sausage, and threw it to the poodle. Arto caught it in the air, swallowed it at a gulp, and ingratiatingly wagged his tail. "'Finished?' asked Ladishkin sweetly. "'Doesn't take long to say what I had to say. Give the dog, and the money will be in your hands.' "'So,' drawled Grandfather mockingly, "'that means the sale of the dog, I suppose?' "'What else?' just an ordinary sale. You see, our little master is so crazy. That's what's the matter. Whatever he wants, he turns the whole house upside down. Give, says he, and it has to be given. That's how it is without his father. When his father's here, holy saints, we all walk on our heads. The father is an engineer. Perhaps you've heard of Mr. Obolyaninov? He builds railway lines all over Russia. A millionaire they've only one boy, and they spoil him. I want a live pony, says he. Here's a pony for you. I want a boat, says he. Here's a real boat. There is nothing that they refuse him. And the moon? 
That is, in what sense? asked the porter. I say, has he never asked for the moon from the sky? The moon! What nonsense is that? said the porter, turning red. But come now, we're agreed, aren't we, dear man? By this time Grandfather had succeeded in putting on his old green-seamed jacket, and he drew himself up as straight as his bent back would permit. "'I'll ask you one thing, young man,' said he, not without dignity. "'If you had a brother, or, let us say, a friend, that had grown up with you from childhood, now stop, friend, don't throw sausage to the dog, better eat it yourself. You can't bribe the dog with that, brother, I say.' if you had a friend, the best and truest friend that it's possible to have, one who from childhood, well then, for example, for how much would you sell him? I'd find a price even for him. Oh, you'd find a price. Then go and tell your master who builds the railroads, cried Grandfather in a loud voice. Go and tell him that not everything that ordinarily is for sale is also to be bought. Yes, and you'd better not stroke the dog, that's to no purpose. Here, Arto, dog, I'll give it to you. Come on, Sergey. Oh, you old fool, cried the porter at last. Fool, yes, I was one from birth. But you, bit of rabble, Judas, soul-seller, shouted Lodishkin, when you see your lady-general, give her our kind respects, our deepest respects. Sergey, roll up the mattress. Ay, ay, my back, how it aches! come on so that's what it means drawled the porter significantly yes that's what it is take it answered the old man exasperatingly the troop then wandered off along the shore following on the same road once looking back accidentally sergey noticed that the porter was following them his face seemed cogitative and gloomy his cap was over his eyes, and he scratched with five fingers his shaggy, carroty-haired neck. V. A certain spot between Mishkor and Alupka had long since been put down by Lodishkin as a splendid place for having lunch, and it was to this that they journeyed now. Not far from a bridge over a rushing mountain torrent there wandered from the cliffside a cold, chattering stream of limpid water. This was in the shade of crooked oak trees and thick hazel bushes. The stream had made itself a shallow basin in the earth, and from this overflowed in tiny snake-like streamlets, glittering in the grass like silver. Every morning and evening one might see here pious Turks making their ablutions and saying their prayers. "'Our sins are heavy and our provisions are meagre,' said Grandfather, sitting in the shade of a hazel bush. Now, Serozha, come along. Lord, give thy blessing. He pulled out from a sack some bread, some tomatoes, a lump of Bessarabian cheese, and a bottle of olive oil. He brought out a little bag of salt, an old rag tied round with string. Before eating, the old man crossed himself many times and whispered something. Then he broke the crust of bread into three unequal parts. The largest he gave to Sergei. He is growing. He must eat. The next largest he gave to the poodle, and the smallest he took for himself. In the name of the Father and the Son, the eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, whispered he, making a salad of the tomatoes. Eat, Sarozha. They ate slowly, not hurrying, in silence, as people eat who work. 
All that was audible was the working of three pairs of jaws. Arto, stretched on his stomach, ate his little bit at one side, gnawing the crust of bread, which he held between his front paws. Grandfather and Sergei alternately dipped their tomatoes in the salt, and made their lips and hands red with the juice. When they had finished, they drank water from the stream, filling a little tin can and putting it to their mouths. It was fine water, and so cold that the mug went cloudy on the outside from the moisture condensing on it. The midday heat and the long road had tired the performers, for they had been up with the sun. Grandfather's eyes closed involuntarily. Sergei yawned and stretched himself. "'Well now, little brother, what if we were to lie down and sleep for a minute or so?' asked Grandfather. "'One last drink of water.' "'Ugh! Fine!' cried he, taking his lips from the can and breathing heavily, the bright drops of water running from his beard and whiskers. "'If I were Tsar I'd drink that water every day, from morning to night. Here, Arto! Well, God has fed us and nobody has seen us, or if anybody has seen us, he hasn't taken offence. Och, och, ochunush, ki, The old man and the boy lay down side by side in the grass, making pillows for their heads of their jackets. The dark leaves of the rugged, many-branching oaks murmured above them. Occasionally, through the shade, gleamed patches of bright blue sky. The little streams running from stone to stone chattered monotonously and stealthily as if they were putting someone to sleep by sorcery. Grandfather turned from side to side, muttered something to Sergei, but to Sergei his voice seemed far away in a soft and sleepy distance, and the words were strange, as those spoken in a fairy tale. First of all, I buy you a costume, rose and gold, slippers also of rose-coloured satin, in Kiev, or Kharkov, or, perhaps, let us say, in the town of Odessa. There, brother, there are circuses, if you like. Endless lanterns, all electricity, people, perhaps five thousand, perhaps more. How should I know? We should have to make up a name for you, an Italian name, of course. What can one do with a name like Estifeyev? Or, let us say, Ludishkin? Quite absurd. No imagination in them whatever. So we'd let you go on the placards as Antonio, or, perhaps, also quite good, Enrico, or Alphonse. The boy heard no more. A sweet and gentle slumber settled down upon him, and took possession of his body. And Grandfather fell asleep, losing suddenly the thread of his favourite after-dinner thoughts, his dream of Sergei's magnificent acrobatic future. Once, however, in his dream it appeared to him that Arto was growling at somebody. For a moment, through his dreamy brain, there passed the half-conscious and alarming remembrance of the porter in the rose-coloured blouse, but, overcome with sleep, tiredness and heat, he could not get up, but only idly, with closed eyes, cried out to the dog, Arto, where are you going? I'll give it you, gypsy. But at once he forgot what he was talking about, and his mind fell back into the heaviness of sleep and vague dreams. At last the voice of Sergei woke him up, for the boy was running to and fro just beyond the stream, shouting loudly and whistling, calling anxiously for the dog. Here, Arto, come back! Phew, phew, come back, Arto! "'What are you howling about, Sergei? 
cried Lodishkin in a tone of displeasure, trying to bring the circulation back to a sleeping arm. "'We've lost the dog while we slept. That's what we've done,' answered the boy, in a harsh scolding note. "'The dog's lost!' He whistled again sharply and cried, "'Ah, you're just making up nonsense. He'll return,' said Grandfather. But all the same, he also got up and began to call the dog in an angry, sleepy, old man's falsetto. "'Arto! Here, dog!' The old man hurriedly and tremblingly ran across the bridge and began to go upward along the highway, calling the dog as he went. In front of him lay the bright, white stripe of the road, level and clear for half a mile, but on it not a figure, not a shadow. "'Arto! Artoshenka!' wailed the old man, in a piteous voice, but suddenly he stopped calling him, bent down on the roadside, and sat on his heels. "'Yes, that's what it is,' said the old man in a failing voice. "'Sergei! Sarozha! Come here, my boy!' "'Now what do you want?' cried the boy rudely. "'What have you found now? Found yesterday lying by the roadside, eh?' "'Sarozha, what is it? What do you make of it? Do you see what it is?' asked the old man, scarcely above a whisper. He looked at the boy in a piteous and distracted way, and his arms hung helplessly at his sides. In the dust of the road lay a comparatively large half-eaten lump of sausage and about it in all directions were printed a dog's paw-marks. "'He's drawn it off! The scoundrel! Lured it away!' whispered Grandfather, in a frightened shiver, still sitting on his heels. "'It's he! No one else! It's quite clear! Don't you remember how he threw the sausage to Arto down by the sea?' "'Yes, it's quite clear,' repeated Sergei sulkily. Grandfather's wide-opened eyes filled with tears, quickly overflowing down his cheeks. He hid them with his hands. "'Now, what can we do, Serozhenka? Eh, boy? What can we do now?' asked the old man, rocking to and fro and weeping helplessly. "'What to do? What to do?' teased Sergei. "'Get up, Grandfather Lodishkin. Let's be going.' "'Yes, let us go.' repeated the old man sadly and humbly, raising himself from the ground. We'd better be going, I suppose, Serozhenka. Losing patience, Sergei began to scold the old man as if he were a little boy. That's enough driveling, old man, stupid! Who ever heard of people taking away other folks' dogs in this way? It's not the law. What you blinking your eyes at me for? Is what I say untrue? Let us go simply and say, give us back the dog, and if they won't give it, then to the courts with it, and there's an end of it. To the courts, yes, of course, that's correct, to the courts, of course, repeated Lodishkin, with a senseless bitter smile. But his eyes looked hither and thither in confusion. To the courts, yes, only you know, Serozhenka, it wouldn't work, we'd never get to the courts. How not work? The law's the same for everybody. What have they got to say for themselves? interrupted the boy impatiently. Now, Serozha, don't do that. Don't be angry with me. They won't give us back the dog. At this point, Grandfather lowered his voice in a mysterious way. I fear, on account of the passport. Didn't you hear what the gentleman said up there? 
have you a passport he says well and there you see i here grandfather made a wry and seemingly frightened face and whispered barely audibly i'm living with somebody else's passport Sarosha. how somebody else's somebody else's there's no more about it i lost my own at Taganrog. perhaps somebody stole it for two years after that i wandered about hid myself gave bribes wrote petitions at last i saw there was no getting out of it i had to live like a hare afraid of everything but once in odessa in a night-house a greek remarked to me the following what you say says he is nonsense put twenty-five roubles on the table and i'll give you a passport that'll last you till doomsday i worried my brain about that i'll lose my head for this i thought however give it me said i and from that time my dear boy i've been going about the world with another man's passport ah grandfather grandfather sighed sergey with tears in his eyes i'm sorry about the dog it's a very fine dog you know serozhenka my darling cried the old man trembling if only i had a real passport do you think it would matter to me even if they were generals i'd take them by the throat how's this one minute if you please what right have you to steal other people's dogs what law is there for that but now there's a stopper on us Sarozha. if i go to the police station the first thing will be show us your passport are you a citizen of samara by name martin lodishkin i your excellency dear me i little brother am not lodishkin at all and not a citizen but a peasant ivan dutkin is my name and who that lodishkin might be god only knows how can i tell perhaps a thief or an escaped convict perhaps even a murderer no Sarozha, we shouldn't effect anything that way nothing at all grandfather choked and tears trickled once more over his sunburnt wrinkles sergey who had listened to the old man in silence his brows tightly knit his face pale with agitation suddenly stood up and cried come on grandfather to the devil with the passport i suppose we don't intend to spend the night here on the high road ah oh, my dear my darling said the old man trembling twas a clever dog that artoshenka of ours we shan't find such another all right all right get up cried sergey imperiously now let me knock the dust off you i feel quite worn out grandfather they worked no more that day despite his youthful years sergey well understood the fateful meaning of the dreadful word passport so he sought no longer to get arto back either through the courts or in any other decisive way and as he walked along the road with grandfather towards the inn where they should sleep his face took on a new obstinate concentrated expression as if he had just thought out something extraordinarily serious and great without actually expressing their intention the two wanderers made a considerable detour in order to pass once more by friendship villa and they stopped for a little while outside the gates in the vague hope of catching a glimpse of arto or of hearing his bark from afar but the iron gates of the magnificent villa were bolted and locked and an important undisturbed and solemn stillness reigned over the shady garden under the sad and mighty cypresses 
people cried the old man in a quavering voice putting into that one word all the burning grief that filled his heart ah that's enough come on cried the boy roughly pulling his companion by the sleeve serozhenka don't you think there's a chance that artoshenka might run away from them sighed the old man eh what do you think dear but the boy did not answer the old man he went ahead in firm large strides his eyes obstinately fixed on the road his brows obstinately frowning six they reached Alupka in silence grandfather muttered to himself and sighed the whole way sergey preserved in his face an angry and resolute expression they stopped for the night at a dirty turkish coffee-house bearing the splendid name of ildiz which means in turkish a star in the same room with them slept greek stone-breakers turkish ditch-diggers a gang of russian workmen and several dark-faced mysterious tramps the sort of which there are so many wandering about southern russia directly the coffee-house closed they stretched themselves out on the benches along the length of the walls or simply upon the floor and the more experienced placed their possessions and their clothes in a bundle under their heads it was long after midnight when sergey who had been lying side by side with grandfather on the floor got up stealthily and began to dress himself without noise throughout the wide window-panes poured the full light of the moon falling on the floor to make a trembling carpet of silver and giving to the faces of the sleepers an expression of suffering and death where's you going to this time of night cried the owner of the coffee-house ibrahim a young turk lying at the door of the shop let me pass it's necessary i've got to go out answered sergey in a harsh business-like tone get up turco yawning and stretching himself ibrahim got up and opened the door clicking his tongue reproachfully the narrow streets of the tartar bazaar were enveloped in a dense dark blue mist which covered with a tooth-shaped design the whole cobbled roadway one side of the street lay in shade the other with all its white-clad houses was illumined by the moonlight dogs were barking at distant points of the village somewhere on the upper high road horses were trotting and the metallic clink of their hoofs sounded in the night stillness passing the white mosque with its green cupola surrounded by its grove of silent cypresses sergey tripped along a narrow crooked lane to the great highway in order that he might run quickly the boy was practically in his undergarments only the moon shone on him from behind and his shadow ran ahead in a strange foreshortened silhouette there were mysterious shaggy shrubs on each side of the road a bird was crying monotonously from the bushes in a gentle tender tone splew splew and it seemed as if it thought itself to be a sentry in the night silence guarding some melancholy secret and powerlessly struggling with sleep and tiredness complaining hopelessly quietly to some one splew splew i sleep i sleep and over the dark bushes over the blue headdress of the distant forests rose with its two peaks to the sky i petri so light so clear-cut so ethereal as if it were something cut from a gigantic piece of silver cardboard in the sky sergey felt a little depressed by the majestic silence in which his footsteps sounded so distinctly and daringly 
but at the same time there rose in his heart a sort of ticklish, head-wearing spirit of adventure. At a turn of the road the sea suddenly opened before him, immense and calm, quietly and solemnly breaking on the shore. From the horizon to the beach stretched a narrow, a quivering, silver roadway. In the midst of the sea this roadway was lost, and only here and there the traces of it glittered, but suddenly, nearer the shore, it became a wide flood of living, glimmering metal, ornamenting the coast like a belt of deep lace. Sergei slipped noiselessly through the wooden gateway, leading to the park. There, under the dense foliage of the trees, it was quite dark. From afar sounded the ceaseless murmur of mountain streams, and one could feel their damp, cold breath. The wooden planks of the bridge clacked soundingly as he ran across. The water beneath looked dark and dreadful. In a moment he saw, in front of him, the high gates with their lace pattern of iron, and the creeping gloxinia hanging over them. The moonlight, pouring from a gap in the trees, outlined the lacework of the iron gates with, as it were, a gentle phosphorescence. On the other side of the gates it was dark, and there was a terrifying stillness. Sergei hesitated for some moments, feeling in his soul some doubt, even a little fear. But he conquered his feelings, and whispered obstinately to himself, "'All the same, I'm going to climb in, all the same!' The elegant cast-iron design furnished solid stepping-places and holding-places for the muscular arms and feet of the climber. But over the gateway, at a considerable height, and fitting to the gates, was a broad archway of stone. Sergei felt all over this with his hands, and climbed up on to it, lay on his stomach, and tried to let himself down on the other side. He hung by his hands, but could find no catching-place for his feet. The stone archway stood out too far from the gate for his legs to reach, so he dangled there, and as he couldn't get back his body grew limp and heavy, and terror possessed his soul. At last he could hold on no longer, his fingers gave, and he slipped and fell violently to the ground. He heard the gravel crunch under him, and felt a sharp pain in his knees. He lay crouching on all fours for some moments, stunned by the fall. He felt that in a minute out would come the gloomy-looking porter, raise a cry and make a fearful to-do. But the same brooding and self-important silence reigned in the garden as before. Only a sort of strange monotonous buzzing sounded everywhere about the villa and the estate. Zhu, 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 zhu. Ah, that's the noise in my ears, guessed Sergei. When he got on his feet again and looked round, all the garden had become dreadful and mysterious, and beautiful as in a fairy tale, a scented dream. On the flower-beds, the flowers, barely visible in the darkness, leaned toward one another as if communicating a vague alarm. The magnificent dark-scented cypresses nodded pensively and seemed to reflect reproachfully over all. And beyond a little stream the tired little bird struggled with its desire to slumber, and cried submissively and plaintively, Splew! Splew! I sleep! I sleep! Sergei could not recognize the place in the darkness for the confusion of the paths and the shadows. He wandered for some time on the crunching gravel before he found the house. He had never in his whole life felt such complete helplessness and torturesome loneliness and desolation as he did now. The immense house felt as if it must be full of concealed enemies, 
watching him with wicked glee, peering at him from the dark windows. Every moment he expected to hear some sort of signal of wrathful fierce command. "'Only not in the house. He couldn't possibly be in the house,' whispered the boy to himself, as in a dream. "'If they put him in the house, he would begin to howl, and they'd soon get tired of it.' He walked right around the house. At the back, in the wide yard, were several outhouses, more or less simple and capacious, evidently designed for the accommodation of servants. There was not a light in any of them, and none in the great house itself. Only the moon saw itself darkly in the dull dead windows. "'I shan't ever get away from here, no, never,' thought Sergei to himself despairingly, and just for a moment his thoughts went back to the sleeping tavern and grandfather and the old organ and to the place where they had slept in the afternoon, to their life on the road, and he whispered softly to himself, "'Never, never any more of that again!' and so thinking, his fear changed to a sort of calm and despairing conviction. But then, suddenly, he became aware of a faint, far-off whimpering. The boy stood still, as if spellbound, not daring to move. The whimpering sound was repeated. It seemed to come from the stone cellar near which Sergei was standing, and which was ventilated by a window with no glass, just four rough square openings. Stepping across a flower-bed, the boy went up to the wall, pressed his face to one of the openings, and whistled. He heard a slight cautious movement somewhere in the depths, and then all was silent. "'Arto! Artoshka!' cried Sergei, in a trembling whisper. At this there burst out at once a frantic burst of barking, filling the whole garden and echoing from all sides. In this barking there was expressed not only joyful welcome, but piteous complaint and rage and physical pain. One could hear how the dog was tugging and pulling at something in the dark cellar, trying to get free. "'Arto! Doggykin! Artoshenka!' repeated the boy, in a sobbing voice. "'Peace! Cursed one! Ah! You convict!' cried a brutal bass voice from below. There was a sound of beating from the cellar. The dog gave vent to a long howl. "'Don't dare to kill him! Kill the dog if you dare, you villain!' cried Sergei, quite beside himself, scratching the stone wall with his nails. What happened after that Sergei only remembered confusedly, like something he had experienced in a dreadful nightmare. The door of the cellar opened wide with a noise, and out rushed the porter. He was only in his pantaloons, barefooted, bearded, pale from the bright light of the moon, which was shining straight in his face. To Sergei he seemed like a giant or an enraged monster, escaped from a fairy tale. "'Who goes there? I shall shoot! Thieves! Robbers!' thundered the voice of the porter. At that moment, however, there rushed from the door of the cellar, out into the darkness, Arto, with a broken cord hanging from his neck. There was no question of the boy following the dog. The sight of the porter filled him with supernatural terror, tied his feet, and seemed to paralyze his whole body. Fortunately, this state of nerves didn't last long. Almost involuntarily, Sergei gave vent to a piercing and despairing shriek, and he took to his heels at random, not looking where he was going, and absolutely forgetting himself from fear. 
he went off like a bird, his feet striking the ground as if they had suddenly become two steel springs, and by his side ran Arto, joyfully and effusively barking. After them came the porter, heavily, shouting and swearing at them as he went. Sergei was making for the gate, but suddenly he had an intuition that there was no road for him that way. Along the white stone wall of the garden was a narrow track in the shelter of the cypress trees, and Sergei flung himself along this path, obedient to the one feeling of fright. The sharp needles of the cypress trees, pregnant with the smell of pitch, struck him in the face. He fell over some roots and hurt his arm so that the blood came, but jumped up at once, not even noticing the pain, and went on as fast as ever, bent double, and still followed by Arto. So he ran along this narrow corridor, with the wall on one side and the closely ranged file of cypresses on the other, ran as might a crazy little forest animal feeling himself in an endless trap. His mouth grew dry, his breathing was like needles in his breast, yet all the time the noise of the following porter was audible, and the boy, losing his head, ran back to the gate again, and then once more up the narrow pathway and back again. At last Sergei ran himself tired. Instead of the wild terror, he began to feel a cold, deadly melancholy, a tired indifference to danger. He sat down under a tree, and pressed his tired-out body to the trunk, and closed his eyes. Nearer and nearer came the heavy steps of the enemy. Arto whimpered softly, putting his nose between the boy's knees. Two steps from where Sergei sat, a big branch of a tree bent downward. The boy, raising his eyes accidentally, was suddenly seized with joy, and jumped to his feet at a bound, for he noticed that at the place where he was sitting the wall was very low, not more than a yard and a half in height. The top was plastered with lime and broken bottle-glass, but Sergei did not give that a thought. In the twinkling of an eye he grabbed Arto by the body, and lifting him up, put him with his forelegs on the top of the wall. The clever poodle understood perfectly, clambered on to the top, wagged his tail, and barked triumphantly. Sergei followed him, making use of the branches of the cypress, and he had hardly got on to the top of the wall before he caught sight of a large, shadowy face. Two supple, agile bodies, the dogs and the boys, went quickly and softly to the bottom, on to the road, and following them, like a dirty stream, came the vile, malicious abuse of the porter. But whether it was that the porter was less sure on his feet than our two friends, or was tired with running round the garden, or had simply given up hope of overtaking them, he followed them no further. Nevertheless, they ran on as fast as they could without resting, strong, light-footed, as if the joy of deliverance had given them wings. The poodle soon began to exhibit his accustomed frivolity. Sergei often looked back fearfully over his shoulders, but Arto leapt on him, wagging his ears ecstatically, and waving the bit of cord that was hanging from his neck, actually licking Sergei's face with his long tongue. The boy became calm only by the time they got to the spring, where the afternoon before grandfather and he had made their lunch. There both the boy and the dog put their lips to the cold stream, and drank long and eagerly of the fresh and pleasant water. They got in one another's way with their heads, and thinking they had quenched their thirst, yet returned to the basin to drink more, and would not stop. When at last they got away from the spot, the water rolled about in their over-full insides as they ran. 
the danger passed all the terrors of the night explored they felt gay now and light-hearted going along the white road brightly lit up by the moon going through the dark shrubs now wet with morning dew and exhaling the sweet scent of freshened leaves at the door of the coffee-house ildiz ibrahim met the boy and whispered reproachfully where you been a-roving boy where you been no 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 zat's not good sergey did not wish to wake grandfather but arto did it for him he at once found the old man in the midst of the other people sleeping on the floor and quite forgetting himself licked him all over his cheeks and eyes and nose and mouth yelping joyfully grandfather awoke saw the broken cord hanging from the poodle's neck saw the boy lying beside him covered with dust and understood all he asked sergey to explain but got no answer the little boy was asleep his arms spread out on the floor his mouth wide open end of story nine